Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Let's get in it. Ten signs that you may have a pharisaical spirit. Ten signs that you may have a pharisaical spirit. Now, I'm not doing this broadcast to put shame on people and content, condemn people and make them feel like crap. No, that's not what my, my objective for this broadcast. Condemnation is what turns people away from God because they feel like, you know, they've so badly screwed up that there's no remedy. There's no restoration. There's no chance for any of those things. And a lot of times when people feel like they've done some sort of pharisaical action or they got like a Pharisee's mindset, they feel like they're irredeemable. Well, you know, Jesus, he dealt real strong with the Pharisees. And so I must be irredeemable. God must not love me because he didn't treat them nice. Because you read the scriptures and we're going to read Matthew 23 almost in its entirety in the coming minutes. But Jesus, Jesus hung around tax collectors. Jesus hung around... Uh, uh, even prostitutes were at his meetings. He hung around sinners, raw sinners, criminals, notorious criminals of his day. And yet, when it came to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, he couldn't, he couldn't tolerate being around them very long. And so I, I want to make this clear. When I do this broadcast, it's not to put condemnation or shame. Jesus didn't come to shame people. Jesus came to save people. And so I pray that this broadcast is going to bring a level, a high level of godly sorrow that leads to conviction and repentance, which ultimately brings restoration and life. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, Peter, uh, Peter said, be, be, Repent, be ye converted, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that's my prayer, that you'll have times of refreshing, that the Holy Spirit and the water of the Word you know, the Bible calls the word water. In Ephesians 5.26, it says we are washed by the water of the word of God. And so the word of God is like water. And it washes, it washes things away. Let me just pump this up a bit. It, it, it washes poor mindsets away. It, it washes mentality, former mentalities. It washes away sin. It washes away... Uh, misconceptions and ill perspectives of who God is. And so the word is likened unto water. And I pray that the word of God, as we dive in it today, that it's going to act like a tide of a tidal wave that's not going to do like Hurricane, Hurricane Ian did to Florida. Because if you see some of the pictures and the videos, it's not nice. It's not pretty. The word of God's not like that. The word of God doesn't harshly wash things away and bring disaster. The word of God cleanses. Jesus said, that these things I have spoken to you so that you may be clean. You may be made clean. Jesus said in John 17, he said that the word that I have spoken unto you cleanses you. So the word of God has a cleansing effect. And my prayer is that it's going to cleanse you and it continues to cleanse me of any type of pharisaical mindset that we might have adapted through the years. Because this is the problem. When you're a Christian, you know, when you get freshly saved, and you're born again, and, and you love the Lord, and you're out winning souls, and you're out winning the loss, and you're reading your Bible, and you're praying, and, and you're getting around people that are like-minded, and everyone's encouraging you. But then, a couple of years in, three to five years in, all of a sudden, it seems like a lot of Christians develop this pharisaical mindset. They, they feel like they've graduated into a place where they can start acting like 
you know, they're the, the premium brand of Christians or whatever. And they start to leave that first love and that level of humility that they once carried. And they move in to, a, a, you know, and we're going to get through 10, 10 of these things, 10 effects of this pharisaical mindset. But they move into this, this wrong mindset where they feel like they have a chip on their shoulder and all like that and, and all things like that. And as a result, it actually leads them to a place of stagnation because God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. And the number one trait of a Pharisee is pride. Everything I'm going to list today, the 10 signs that you might have a Pharisaical mindset or spirit, every one of them is rooted in pride. It's rooted in, in like this sense that you've kind of graduated to a level where you no longer have to rely on God anymore. You no longer have to rely on, on, on humbly staying at the feet of Jesus, just like Mary. Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Mary constantly, she made it a point to constantly being, uh, receive direction from the Master, constantly humble herself uh, at the feet of Jesus. Because remember, the Bible says, He that is humble will be exalted, but he that prides himself on his own accomplishments or whoever, you know, he, he's, he's made out to be. That person, the Bible says, will be a base, meaning he'll be flattened. And so another thing I want to clarify before we move on to the 10 signs is when I'm talking about a pharisaical spirit, I'm not talking about a demon spirit that you might have. Now, there is a demon of religion. I do believe that. And I've talked and addressed about the spirit of religion, a religious spirit. But when I'm talking about 10 signs you might have a pharisaical spirit, I'm not talking about you being demonized. I'm not talking about you being fully possessed of this thing. I'm talking about certain mindsets. When I talk about a spirit today, I'm talking about the human spirit that might be influenced by certain mindsets and mentalities that have been tainted by... Uh, by, by, by that pharisaical mindset. And so I'm not talking about pharisaical spirit and that it's a demon spirit like a Jezebel spirit or something. I'm talking about certain mindsets people have adapted and adopted in their own life that uh, in their own human spirit, they act this way and they need to be cleansed of it because I'm telling you, if you don't, want, if you, don't um, you know, the Bible says, be sober and be watchful in all things. If you don't sober up, and be watchful. The Bible says that Jesus said this in Revelation 2 and 3. He said, Behold, I stand by, and if you don't repent, I'll remove the lampstand. I'll take out the fire. I'll take out that uniqueness of the anointing that you feel. You know, the anointing, the, the anointing is re revocable. The gifts and callings of God are not revocable. But that sweet presence of Jesus, when you start to... When you start to get convicted of these 10 things that I'm about to go in, and you refuse, you reject the conviction. You know, there's a godly sorrow that leads to conviction and life. There's a worldly sorrow that's, that's condemnation. And the worldly sorrow, it, it just, you know, you start hearing these things and you feel like you're, you're too big to repent and you end up just rejecting that feeling that you need to change. The worldly sorrow, the Bible says, bring, it produces death. But a godly sorrow embraces conviction. A godly sorrow embraces change. I'm not afraid of change. I'm not afraid of conviction. I'm not, a, I embrace it. Matter of fact, I'm in a bad space. I'm in a bad spot. If I'm, at a, if I'm ever in an area 
where, where I'm disturbed by conviction. I'm disturbed by the instructions of the Word of God. You're in a bad state. You're, your heart's not right. I want to stay humbled. I want to stay in a place where I'm tender-hearted, ready to receive instructions from the Master. Because, you know, there's a way that seems right unto men, but its end is the way of death. But the Bible says, if you'll follow the way of Christ, the path of the upright, shines brighter and brighter even unto that perfect day. The Bible says, in the way of righteousness is riches, honor, and life. And that's the way I'm going to choose every single time. So let's get in it. One of the dangers, and I'm going to read first from John 15, one of the dangers of not abiding in Jesus is that as time goes on, you start to develop a mindset of a Pharisee. And the mindset of the Pharisee will render you utterly fruitless in things pertaining to your call and your assignment on the earth. Listen to this. Jesus said in John 15, 1, I am the true vine. By the way, if you're just tuning in now, you'd do me a great service if you'd share this broadcast. Help me get this word out to more people. Share it on Facebook by clicking that share button and liking the video. Also on YouTube, if you'll like, if you'll smash that like button. If you're on YouTube right now and you haven't smashed that like button, I mean pulverize it. If you haven't hit that like button, please do. And comment, comment recurrently, comment as much as you can. Comment until you have carpal tunnel syndrome. No, I'm kidding. We'll pray for you after if you do. I am the true vine, my father is the, the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. See, the pruning process is not an easy process. This, some of you right now, here and today, are going to engage in this pruning process. And the reason you're going to feel the conviction, and you're going to feel, and nobody's above what I'm going. I have to watch myself against these 10 things. It's not like, oh, he's a pastor, he, he's a preacher, he must not have any of that. No, it's actually the ones who have to be most on guard against these things are preachers because it's mostly found in preachers, this, these, these pharisaical mindsets, these, these prideful mindsets. A lot of preachers, I'm going to go, I'm going to talk about that in a second, but a lot of preachers, they fall under all 10 of these. They've left that, that, that state. You know, I don't believe that anyone that goes into the ministry starts off I'd say 99% of them don't start off bad. They don't start off with this mindset of a Pharisee. But over the years, because there's, you know, there's a certain honor that's given to a minister, over the years, the tendency is that there's a, a level of pride that rises up where they feel like they're in a different class, a different category, and that they, they're not subject to the same, the same requirements. But that's not true. The preacher, the Bible says, is to be above reproach. And the Bible says, don't let many of you become preachers because they're going to be held to a higher standard in the day of judgment. So Jesus said, when Jesus, when he prunes you, it's not to hurt you. It's not to harm you. It's to help you bear even more fruit. And that's my prayer from this broadcast. As these things are pruned out of you and cleaned out of you, that you're going to be a high, uh, 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 um, a Christian that bears a high level of fruit, a high level of productivity. You'll win more souls. You'll see more people healed. You'll see the presence of God like, a, like an aura all around you from this day onward. You are clean because of the word which I've spoken unto you. See, there it is. Abide in me and I in you. And as a, fruit, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out 
as a branch and is withered. Withered, rendered useless, diminished, relegated, slowly dying out, is withered away. And they gather them and throw them into fire and they are burnt. So Jesus is saying, when you abide in me, you're good. When you stick to his word and embrace his conviction and, and act on change, you're good. You're going to continue to bear more fruit. He's going to prune you. You're going to go through that process and you'll continuously bear fruit. But if you do not abide, and this is where that Pharisee mindset comes into play, because the Pharisees, understand this, they had the principles locked down. They tithed, they fasted, they prayed. They had the principles locked down. But they, didn't, they did not have a relationship with God. And Christianity is not just about subscribing to a list of commandments and principles and using it like as a magic potion or some formula. You know, God's not a formula. God is a person. God is a, a, a living being. He's a person. He has emotions. He has a mind. He has a will. He expresses himself. He has love. He has anger. He hates certain things. He loves certain things. So he has uh, personality traits. He is a, he's a person. And so you can't treat him as a formula, as if he's like a, a, an Xbox controller where you can press certain buttons and get what you want no matter how, you know, you know an Xbox does, doesn't care if I don't play it for five years or not. I, I go back, play it again, it's going to turn on, I'm going to be able to play it. You know, it doesn't matter if, it's been, if I've been away for five years. There's no, I don't have a relationship with my Xbox or my, my laptop. If I don't use my laptop for six months, it's not going to change my relationship with it. It's a tool. God's not a tool. God's not a vending machine. God's not something that you can just put a, plunk a quarter in and get something out of it. He's a person. He wants to have relationship with you. That's what the Pharisees could never understand. They couldn't get it into their thick noggin. They thought that God was a formula. That if they just prayed enough, if they gave in public their massive offerings, if they gave tithes of everything they own. You know, that's the problem with that man in Luke chapter 18. He said, I, I give tithes of all that I have. I fast, I pray, I fast twice a week. I'm not like this tax collector. Yet the tax collector would not so much as lift up his eyes to heaven and he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said that tax collector went away justified more than the Pharisee because he understood God was not some thing, that he was a person and that he needed his mercy and he wanted to enter into covenant with him. And so the, the, the problem is, is when you don't stay in an attitude of prayer and when you don't stay in the word of God and you detach yourself, disconnect yourself, you get into this place where you now, you've treat, you're treating God as uh, the relationship you have with God is what can I get out of it rather than what do I bring to the table? And that's where you're in the danger of coming into these 10 things I'm about to go into. You begin to, and, and another, another reason why people fall into this this trap of a pharisaical spirit is because they forget where they came from. They forget how crappy life was before. They forget how low they were before Jesus saved them. They forget had, that had it not been for the Lord on their side, they would have been smashed up, devoured, per, uh, uh, perplexed. The Bible says struck down. That we would have been in a royal mess had it not been for God's mercy and His saving hand. Never forget from which you came from where you came from. Never forget the pit from which God pulled you up out of. Don't ever forget your humble beginnings. 
Many of you were, were dying of a terminal illness and God healed you. Many of you, maybe like me, you had a, a mental disorder, depression, anxiety, OCD, schizophrenia, whatever it was, suicidal thoughts, and the Lord delivered you. And now you don't have, you haven't felt suicidal thoughts come on you in 15 years, 10 years. Don't let that feeling of peace and that comfort level pull you away from abiding in Him. That's why Deuteronomy 8 says, don't forget that it was the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Don't forget when you come into nice lands with flowing with milk and honey and you come into nice homes that you didn't build and the Lord blesses you strong and you come into prosperity and you start to experience God and, and, and His blessing. Don't forget. See, that's the point where people forget. That's the place where people... See, it's hard to become a Pharisee when you're... You're in a state where you're in constant dependence and reliance upon Christ and upon His power. It's when God brings you and He delivers you that you have to stay in a, in a watchful mindset where you guard yourself against these things. When you're in a place of comfort, when you're in a place of prosperity. That was the problem in the book of Judges. God bails them out by a judge, Samson, Deborah, whatever. God bails the people out and then the Bible says they got into a place of idleness because they had everything they needed and then they started to turn away from God and turn to wicked deeds and they knew not the God that delivered the past generation they didn't rely on him and then they got into a rut it was this garbage cycle that they went through not because God wanted to put them through that but because they themselves refused to stay at the foot of, of, of Christ refused to stay humble refused to guard themselves in times of prosperity. It's easy to press into Jesus when things are hard because that's when you need Him most. When things are well, how do you act? When things are going well, how is, what's your mindset like? So I want to go through 10 signs that you may have a pharisaical spirit, starting with number one. Number one, you love positions and titles. These are 10 signs that, the, that uh, a pharisaical spirit has like overtaken you. You love positions and titles. You love, you know, let me read it. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 6. Matthew chapter 23, beginning with verse 6. Jesus speaking of the Pharisees. He says they love the best places at the feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, Greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you're all brethren. So Jesus was saying that the Pharisaical mindset, they love titles and they love positions. They love to be called Rabbi. I said it before, preachers are, are the worst at this. They, you know, you go up and you see the guy's Pastor John or whatever, and you just say, hey, Johnny. And he's like, no, 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 that's Pastor John to you. Now, I'm not against respect, and I'm for honor. And you should call your pastor, Pastor whatever his name is. You should do that. You should not, you should, you, you should show them honor. Because the Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due. And the scripture says, they that labor in the word and doctrine are deserving of double honor. So you should go out of your way to call a pastor a pastor. You should go out of your way. To call an evangelist an evangelist. I, you know, when I see a, a, a man that's in the office of an evangelist, a woman that's in the office of an evangelist, I don't, even if I'm doing more than they are, I don't call them 
by you know their first name. I say evangelist so-and-so because there's, a, there's an honor and a respect that's to give into the office. However, people can abuse this and people can take this so far that it's like it's, it's not, there's a wrong spirit tied to it where they're demanding that they won't even respond to you unless you call them a certain thing. And then forget pastors and preachers. There's some pe- there are people in boards and churches that require people call them deacon this or deacon that. And they'll not show you any respect unless they're called deacon or the position. And it's like, I'm not against titles and position. I'm saying, be, be aware in your own heart that you're not disturbed when someone doesn't attribute the title to you. Where you're not like, I can't believe that they wouldn't even honor that about me. I can't believe he called me by my... F- who, who in their right... Well, uh, I mean, what, what, what are they thinking? That they think they can address me by... You know, Jesus wasn't going around, hey, no, no, that's Rabbi Jesus to you. And that was Jesus. Jesus wasn't going around like demanding that people call him rabbi by the fruit. By the fruit. You'll see. You don't have to be you don't have to have the title of anything. You start to show the fruit that that per, that that title shows. You know, I don't go around demanding people call me an evangelist. People call me evangelist TJ evangelist that because they see the fruit of an evangelist. It's like Samuel. Samuel, nobody Nobody coached people into saying, hey, Samuel's now prophet. You should honor him that way. The Bible says everyone in Judea, everyone that was in Judea, they recognized Samuel to be a prophet because he was prophesying things and they were coming to pass. He didn't have to go around saying, hey, I'm called prophet Samuel. Don't you dare call me by pastor anymore. No, they, they recognized the anointing on him and they gave it to him. But far too often there's an obsession over being called a pastor, an evangelist, a deacon, where people are going out of their way to correct everyone that doesn't address them by their formal title. Then there's, you know, he says, you desire the best seats at the synagogues. There's people, if this is you, cut this out. That, I can't believe that person came in. You know, I've been coming to this church for 15 years. I've been sitting at that seat for the last seven years. And this new guy comes in and he's, he has the nerve to take my seat, to take my... That, I've worked hard to get that seat. I've always wanted that front seat. And now I can't... And it's like, who are you? That's a person... That person didn't even dress like I dress. And they're in the front. They shouldn't even be in the front. The cameras pan right and they see them. And they're going to see people like that, dressed like that. You're a Pharisee. You're, you have a wrong spirit. Why not rejoice that someone who's, who, who may be homeless or maybe whatever, going have a hard time financially and can't afford nice clothes like you are, who may have never even been into a church, moves into that church, sits in the front, has a place where they can now connect with the preacher without distraction. Instead of rejoicing over that, you're ticked. You're ticked because you don't get your seat. You know there are people who have left the church because of this. Pharisee of Pharisees. Blind guides. Devouring a camel, Jesus said, and they'll strain out a gnat. Meaning they focus on such little things, they forget that their heart's not even right with God. It's ugly. Ugly. Dag Heward Mills. He talks about, how he was at a conference one years ago. Conference. And, and he goes in and there is this seating arrangement. And I'm not against seating arrangements to honor certain people. I'm saying there's people that obsess over it. There was a seating arrangement. And this senior pastor was sitting in the front row. uh, Like a very old pastor. Not just a senior pastor. Like an elderly pastor. An old man. And the pastor saw someone that was like doing more. And was like in his prime. And was very hot. 
at that moment. And he actually moved the, the older senior pastor who was to be honored. He moved him to like the second or third, third row to bring that guy into the first row in front of everyone. And the guy, like, he was kind of like, he felt ashamed, he felt humiliated, he had to go to the back, but he did that all just so that this hot dog could come up and sit in the front row. I mean, th that's wrong. Absolutely wrong. Daguerre Mill says one of the, he says this, he's an evangelist who does crusades, and he said the, you'd be surprised at what the greatest, um, the greatest obstacle is in all, all of our crusades. He says it's not getting people in to, to come and hear the gospel. It's not getting buses so that we can drive them in. It's not renting the crusade ground. It's not getting the permit to do all these things. It has nothing to do with that. You know what the hardest thing is at the crusade for Daguerre Mills? He says it. He says it's the seating arrangement for when I invite pastors. Because if a pastor who feels like they're doing more than other pastor gets a third row when he deserves a first or a second row at least, he's going to get sour and their, their heart's not going to be tied into it. They're going to be bitter and complaining the entire time. He said that's his biggest problem. It's his seating arrangement. It should not be like that. It's embarrassing. Embarrassing. Jesus said in John 5.41, You are those who desire to receive honor from men, but forfeit the honor that comes from God. So obsessed. I'm not against the honor code. Understand this. i got to like make this clear. The honor code is real. You should honor pastors. You should honor evangelists. If, if, if uh, Dag Heward Mills, a great evangelist, came to our church, we'd give him the front row. You should honor this. It's the... It's the demanding of these things. It's the, if you get the third row, if you, you, there's a conference I go to every year, and they have seating arrangements. And there are people who, unless they're in the front or first or second row, they won't even press into what the man of God is preaching. They won't even receive because they're so sour and bitter that they didn't get the front row and they deserve it. That they won't even press in. They won't, they'll miss out on what could have been the breakthrough because they didn't, they didn't get the front row. And unfortunately, there are Christians. Forget the preachers. There's Christians that go to church. Pastor didn't wave at them in the hallway today. Pastor didn't acknowledge them as he was walking to the pulpit. Pastor didn't smile at them. Whatever. And they, they felt like they deserved it. They felt like they're in a place of honor. Where they, and, and what happens? They get so bitter they can't even receive from pastor. Let Guard your heart. The Bible says out of it flows the issues of life. Guard your heart. Keep a clean spirit. I pray that the Word of God will wash away this mindset from your heart in Jesus' name. Who cares about earthly titles? Who cares about earthly positions? Who cares about earthly and human accolades? Who cares about the applause of men? Look, if you, <coughs> if you obsess over the, the uh, encouragement of people, if you obsess over the congratulations of people, you are going to fall to their criticism. It's better to just strip that out of your heart. If you're not moved by their, their congratulations, you won't, move by the, you won't be moved by their criticism. So who cares at that point? That's, that's what the Pharisee said about Jesus. A Pharisee came to him in John chapter 3 and said, Teacher, we know that you don't care about men, nor do you regard about the person of man. He wasn't saying Jesus didn't care about people. He's saying you don't care about the opinions of men. You don't rise to their congratulation and you don't fall to their criticism. You do you and that's... They commended him for that. So number one, you, a Pharisee loves positions and titles. Number two, there's extreme hypocrisy. Luke chapter 12. 
Luke chapter 12, and beginning with verse 1. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus said this, In the meantime, when an innumerable company of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus said that the main problem that Pharisees had was their hypocrisy. Turn with me back to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 2. Let's start at verse 1. Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples. He said, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and don't do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not so much as move one of them with their fingers. All their works they do to be seen by men. The Bible says in Matthew 6, they blow the trumpets in the open spaces to announce their giving. They, they, they pray on the street corners, loud, loud prayers, long and lengthy prayers, hoping to be seen by men. But they don't have private devotion to God. They don't do those things in secret. Jesus said, whatever they tell you to observe, observe and do. Because they, they had a lot to say. They said a lot of good things, but they didn't back it up with action. He says, whatever they tell you to do, that observe and do, but don't do according to their works. For they speak, but they don't do it. The Pharisees were deep into hypocrisy. Their actions did not line up with their words. Are you like that? Are you the type of person that on church on Sunday morning... I exalt thee. And then the moment Sunday afternoon runs, runs around, you know, you're not exalting him with the words that you're speaking and the actions that you're doing. Are you the type of person where, you know, you're, you, you go to a week of revival meetings and in those revival meetings, you get on board, you're, you know how to speak Christianese, you know how to do the revival thing. When the man, man of God lays hand on you, you know how to fall and shake and quake and shout and scream and yell and all that stuff, run around the building. But then the moment you come out of service, you call sister so-and-so on the prayer line and you just, instead of praying for people, you're just gossiping about everybody. Don't be the person who knows a lot about God, who knows a lot about how church operation is to be, who knows a lot about Scripture, who can quote the Scriptures, like the Pharisees. They can quote the Scriptures and do circles around most people. But their actions, the Bible says they did not bear fruit worthy of repentance. Matthew chapter 3, listen to this. Matthew chapter 3. Now John himself when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, you snakes. He saw right through it. I'm telling you, when <laughs> it's easy to see. I know it might not look like it, but it's easy to see. Jesus said in Matthew 23, he said, you are those who indeed outwardly appear beautiful to men. But he said, I see right through it. 
You can fool people. You can't fool God. All creation, Hebrews 4, all creation is naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. All creation is naked and open. You can put clothes. You can put makeup on. You can do whatever you want to conceal the extortion and ungodliness in your heart. But God sees right through it all. And the Bible says we will give an account for it. You can fool your pastor. You can fool your sister. You can fool your brother and your parents and your own spouse. You cannot fool God. So this is a warning. Don't be like them. Look what happened. And, and you'll see, very anointed people can see right through it. Because John was very anointed. Jesus was very anointed. Jesus said, you are indeed outwardly clean. But inside you're full of extortion and ungodliness. He said, you hypocrites first make the inside of the cup clean so that the outside may appear clean too. Could you imagine you came over and we sat down to eat and you said, can I have some water? I said, sure. And I went and got a cup that outside, like a, um, like a, a coffee mug, outside it was sparkling. I had Mr. Clean that thing. That thing was so shiny, it, it can blind a person. And then I poured in water or a clear substance, clear, a clear drink, a clear liquid. And I pour it in. And you go and you're about to drink and you look in and there's maggots on the inside. And there's dirt and all kinds of junk and gunk and disgusting things. Earth. Bacteria. It was green and moldy. Would you continue to drink it? No, you... Spit it out of your mouth. That's disgusting. Go clean the in. I'd rather the outside have mold. I'd rather the outside look ugly. I'd rather the outside have problems with it than the inside because I'm not drinking the outside. I'm drinking the inside. That's why, you know, a lot of people say there'll be a lot of people in heaven that you thought would never make it. And then there'll be a lot of people not there that you thought would make it because they look good on the outside. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Master, we've cast out demons in your name. We've healed the sick in your name. We even did great miracles in your name. We've prophesied. Hey, depart from you. I never knew you. You doers of lawlessness. Yeah, you knew how to do it in front of everybody. You knew how to, how to act the act. But he said, you're full of hypocrisy and you don't even know me. Because when you went back home that night, it was just a charade. It was just an act. It was like uh, 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 um, Broadway. You got your makeup on, you went, you did your show, you got off stage left, and that was it. You went back to smoking, you went back to drinking, you went back to, to, to watching porn, you went back to doing everything you did. You went back to uh, sleeping around with people that are, you just, you never, there was no change. There was no longing in your heart for God. Look at what G John says. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And don't think to say to yourself, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bears fruit, does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. So John was giving them a warning. There's... That's why I started off this broadcast. This is not to shame people. This is not to condemn you. This is to give you a warning. It's, I mean, it's high time. The Bible says when you see these things happening, talking about final Bible prophecy, which we're seeing everything happen. He said, lift up your eyes. Lift up. Repent. Turn away from this earth. Turn, turn your eyes on Jesus. Get right with God. Stay clean. Stay pure. 
The Bible says since everything on this earth is going to be dissolved, what manner of lives ought we to live in godly conduct and in holiness? It's all going to be burnt up. Nobody's going to stand by you on judgment day and say, but you know, I really enjoyed the way he acted in church. Nobody's going to be there. It's going to be you and God. And Jesus said, lift up, your redemption draws near. Your redemption draws near. So this is not a, a, a this isn't a, a, a condemnation broadcast. This may be a rebuke for some. This may be a, you know, you, you check your check engine lights on. And I'm putting the machine in to check the codes out. And the code might be that there's hypocrisy there. Well, f let's fix it. And you don't have to fix it on your own. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit will give you power to change. All He wants from you is a yielded, surrendered heart that says, Lord, I'm not going to stay like this. I might have started like this. I may have stayed like this for a while. But today, I'm making up my mind. I'm going to get clean. I'm going to clean the inside of the cup. I'm going to clean the outside of the cup. And I'm going to get sincere in my faith. Hypocrisy. And you know what? Well, we'll move on. Number three. Number two was hypocrisy. Number three, trait of a pharisaical spirit. There's no mercy for others in their mistakes or their failures. You have no mercy for other people that, me that make mistakes. The moment they slip up, do you hear what happened to Johnny? <laughs> Can't believe he'd do that. What a rotten person. Man, Man am I glad that I, I don't talk to him anymore. You know, let me show you what the Bible says. When someone slips up, the reaction isn't to take a dump on them and make them feel even worse. When a brother slips up, listen to this. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Because I'm telling you, when you have a pharisaical mindset, you're calling people, a lot of people, and, and you're, you're telling them what happened to Johnny, what happened to Sally, and you think, you know what you're doing is wrong, but you feel like you're being spiritual because you're concerned. You're not concerned, you're gossiping. Concern is... is going to talk to them and praying with them. Gossip is telling everybody about what happened and then never even addressing the situation with them. And there's no mercy for it. I'll never trust them again. Never. Could you imagine if Jesus and God, the Father, did that to us after we messed up? The Bible says in Ephesians, you should forgive others even as God in Christ forgave you. Think of, you know, Jesus said, if you were ever angry at a person, you're guilty of murder. If you were ever angry at a person wrongfully, you're guilty of murder. So if you've ever been angry at someone, you're in the sight of God, you were a murderer. If you lusted at another person with lust in your heart, the Bible says you're guilty of adultery. And you were married, you're guilty of adultery. And even if you're not married, you're guilty of, of sexual immorality. So it's like we were guilty of so much. God washed us. God, God, who's the most holy, uh, He's the holiest of all. He is the most high God. He's holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. If anybody had reason to pick up a stone and whack us out, it was God. But He didn't do that. You know, when they brought the woman caught in adultery to Jesus, and the Pharisee said, Moses commands us to stone her. What should we do, Master? And they were doing it to, to trap Him. Jesus caught on right away. He stooped down, he wrote something in the ground, and then they, they kept pressing him for an answer. He got up and he said, well, let he that is without sin cast the first stone. If you're sinless, you've never made a mistake in your life, then you go ahead, pick up a stone, whack her out. 
Everyone left. The Bible says from the oldest and then to the youngest. They all left. They all sl slipped out. They all slowly but surely slipped away. The only person left was the woman and Jesus. Jesus said, where are those that stood to accuse you? Where are those that wanted to kill you just five minutes ago? He said, they all left, Jesus. Well, I don't condemn you either. Jesus was the only one who was sinless in that crowd that could have picked up a stone and launched it. Jesus didn't come to stone sinners. Jesus came to save sinners. He could have stoned her. He could have killed her. And he would have been rightful in doing so. But Jesus came full of grace and full of truth and full of mercy. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so if Jesus, if Jesus, as holy and righteous as he is, chose to overlook that person's mistake, that person's failure, that person's transgression, then who are we to hold them accountable for things that Jesus already forgot about? The Bible says he buries it in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. Why do you keep bringing up their past mistakes? You know, there's a guy at our church who went to jail for murder, got out. Uh, he was supposed to do a life sentence. The Lord broke him out way before his time. And uh, he, he's genuinely born again. And he attends our church, and he's a, a man of God, and I love him very much. Could you imagine every time, I'm not going to sit next to him. After what you've done, man, I've heard about what you did. You know, what kind of rotten person I am? I was guilty of the same. I was a murderer. I was everything. The Bible says in Corinthians, he says, Now th note those, that those who practice sexual immorality, uh, murder, idolatry, fornication, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. Then Paul says, such were some of you. You were all, you, we were all fallen short of the glory of God. We all fell short of the standard of God's holiness. We all turned aside. We each became corrupt. But God laid on Jesus all of our sin. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. So who am I to go and say, well, no, his sin looked harsher than my sin, and so I don't trust that. No, it's under the blood. I'm not going to bring it up. I don't even look at him as like, oh, this guy's, I can't believe I'm speaking to him. I don't even look at him like that. He's, a, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All this passed away. Everything becomes new. So don't just see yourself as a new creation. Realize those that are in Christ, they too are new creatures and we should treat them as such. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, before he says, behold, all things are new. You're a new creation. The verse before that, he says, therefore, just as we no longer regard Jesus in the flesh, we should no longer regard each other as just mere human beings. Don't look at them as old Joe Schmoes. No, they've been changed. They're royal priesthoods. They're a chosen generation, a holy nation. Treat them as such. Treat them as such. Galatians 6, brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespasses, you should stone them openly. You should wring their necks and bring them up, put them on a spit like a pig and cook them. No! Brethren, if any man is overtaken in any sin, you who are spiritual, see, it's a mark of lack of spirituality when you roast people that screwed up in one shape or form. It's a lack of spiritual, spirituality. You know, the Bible says, he that is merciless to him, judgment will be merciless. James chapter 2. For mercy triumphs over, ju over judgment. James says, to him who shows no mercy... Judgment will be merciless to him. You know, when Jesus said that we are to give unto give and it shall be given unto us, pressed down, shaken together, fallen over into lap, it does apply for finances. But 
the contextual purpose of that verse is actually with regards to casting judgments on people. It says, if you give judgment to everyone, it shall be, it, it's going to be pressed back onto you. You know, when you point at someone like this, you're pointing at someone for what they did, notice that there's three fingers pointing right back on you. So be careful who you point the finger to because there's three more fingers pointing right back at you. The Bible says when you're spiritual, you're going to restore such a one with a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves also lest you be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the love of Christ. There's no mercy for people's mistakes or, fa or, or failures. Number four, you're more concerned with traditions than you are with the welfare of the people. Matthew chapter 12. In Mark chapter 7 verse 9, before I read Matthew chapter 12, Mark chapter 7 verse 9, Jesus told the Pharisees, you all too well reject the instructions of God, the commandments of God, because you desire to hold to your traditions. He says you can't receive God's word because you're so enamored by what has been. You can't even receive power with God for what shall be or what can be. You actually cut yourself off from God's supply because you're so obsessed with religious traditions and how things have always been. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Jesus said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not, so will not lay hold of it and lift it up? For how much of more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, as and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against Jesus how they might destroy him. Jesus healed someone. But because it was done on the Sabbath, they, it didn't... It didn't fill in the requirements of their tradition because it was done in what they supposed to be the wrong timing. Because they had never seen it done before. They've kept God in a box. The Bible says the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might destroy Him. And this you see a lot in a lot of preachers. They see others having miracles or ministering in a way that is unorthodox or some, something they've never seen before, a way, a, a way of ministering uh, such as they've never witnessed with their own eyes. And their reaction, instead of looking at the fruit, wow, that guy came back to life, man, that's pretty good. Wow, that person was fully demon-possessed, and they're delivered, sitting in their right mind and wanting to go into ministry now. Wow, that person was a drug addict, and now is delivered, and does not have any des desire to smoke drugs or do anything like that anymore. Wow, that was like... That was a terminal illness that God healed through that guy. Instead of having that reaction, the reaction is what? It's not, I've never seen it done that way. must not be God. Well, I don't see God doing that. God didn't do it through me. How can he do it through them? Well, you know, I've never, you know, I've been a Christian for 56 years, and I've never seen God do it like that. So that has to be a demon. You know, be careful of one thing. Be careful of labeling everything and everyone that does something differently from you as a heretic, a false prophet, or a demon. Because they did that to Jesus. They said, this man cast... Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they couldn't cast out demons. 
So when they saw Jesus doing it, you know what they said? This man cast out demons by, the, by Beelzebub himself, by the prince of demons. That he's Satan in flesh. He's the prince of demons. He's the ruler of demons. And that's why he's able to do this. He's playing a magic trick around you. He's trying to deceive the people. Be careful. You don't label people as demonic just because they're having results you're not having. Because you decided to keep to your religious traditions. Some people get into a cycle of religious motions to the point where they're more, they're more obsessed with the how things are to be in a service. You know, there's some church services that if the Holy Ghost tried to come in and he tried to do something that day, the pastor of the church would get up and say, no, 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 no. It's not offering. It's, it's not, it's not uh, ministering time yet. We're, we're in the offering time now. Holy Spirit, you're going to have to wait your turn. This is my show. You might have some time I'll give you at the end, but this is my show. There's some people that their order of service has been so traditionally passed on. Everything has to be timed. Everything has to be neatly programmed. There's some... Don't let this be you. You're a Christian. You go to church. Preacher went on an extra 30 minutes that day because God was moving. But you got up and left because... You know, it's 10.30 to 12.15. It's 12.36. I'm not staying. You're a Pharisee. No. You know, the Pharisees, the problem they had was they had no heart for God. They were so obsessed with religious tradition, they forgot about what this is all about. They forgot about the essence of Christianity. They forgot about the great... You know, I hate it. You're a Pharisee if you do this. I'm sorry. If during the altar call... When people are coming up to receive Christ, you take it as your time to put on your jacket and leave. To, to get your stuff in order and leave because you want to beat the traffic coming out of the parking lot of the church. You don't have a right heart. You see, the whole purpose of ever the reason why we even gather in church is to fulfill, part of the reason, is to fulfill the Great Commission to go and preach the gospel and get people saved. And when that's actually happening, you get up and leave because it's not, it, you want to catch, you know, a football game or whatever? It's a Pharisee. Luke 13, you see a woman who's bent over double. She's got a spirit of infirmity, the Bible says, and was for 18 year, years bound that way. Jesus comes in, lays his hands on her and looses her from the infirmity. You know what the, the, the Pharisees did? They were filled with anger, and they said there are six days on, when men, on which men ought to work. Come and be healed on those days. This is the Sabbath. Jesus said, you, you freaking hypocrites. No, he didn't say freaking hypocrites, but he said, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. Which of you don't untie your donkey to water it? And this woman, who's a daughter of Abraham, who's been bound for 18 years, you're not going to do anything to help her? All too concerned. With the system that... We have a system in this place. God's beyond your system. God works beyond your box. Every great awakening that happened in the history of the United States and every major revival, it always broke the orthodoxy of how things were, do, how things were operating in that day. Don't stay. You know, Dagger and Mills tells a story about a bridge that was built over a river. And because of a massive storm, the river actually moved. I don't know how that works, but the river moved. It was no longer there. It moved to the left. And so the bridge was just over a, a vacant piece of land now, and people weren't using the bridge. And he said, when I saw that, 
I realize that's how a lot of Christians are. They're, they, they, the, the move of God looks differently now. Things have, you know, it's not what we've traditionally thought things would, would look like. Things have moved. The river has moved. And they still go over the same bridge. They still move over the same bridge. When, when God's desiring to do something, you know, in Isaiah 43, he said, I desire to do a new work. I want to bring forth a new work. And I, if I would tell you ahead of time, you wouldn't even believe it. But I want to do a new thing. God wants to do a new thing in your life. Don't stop him because it's not what you've seen before. The danger oftentimes... The danger oftentimes when you have this mindset of tradition is you see people and, the, and the, you see people getting healed. You see people receiving miracle breakthrough. And instead of celebrating it, you're like the, in Luke 13. They got, the Bible says they were filled with indignation. They got filled with anger because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. If you look at a miracle and it angers you, there's something wrong. When you look at people being delivered and it gets you mad, there's something wrong. When you look at God working something supernatural in our midst. And you're concerned. You know when the Gadarene demoniac got delivered? The Bible says when the Pharisees came and they saw how he had been delivered, when the leaders came and saw how he had been delivered, they begged him to leave the region. Not that he had been delivered. They didn't care about that. How? The method he used. They begged him to leave the, 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 the area. Paul said, beware lest you be cheated from your from your reward because you keep to religious traditions. Be careful lest you be cheated. Number five, trait of a Pharisee. You're easily offended. The Bible says when Jesus, he rebuked the, the Pharisees at one point, the Bible says in Matthew 15 that they were offended at his words. They got offended. They didn't embrace the correction or the rebuke. They got offended. When the pastor's talking about a certain sin and instead of, and you know you're doing it, instead of embracing it, you get offended. I'm not going back to that church. They speak too much on sin. You can know there's a pharisaical spirit operating. The Bible says the glory of a man is to overlook a transgression. It's to overlook offense. It's, you know, forget pastor preaching and you getting offended by the word of God. That's one level. I'm talking about people in the church that may offend you in one, one shape or form or another. The Bible says the glory of a man is to overlook an offense. Don't grow bitter because you heard so-and-so said something about you that wasn't true. All right. That's what they said. It's not true. What, what do I care? Develop a thick skin. If you're not going to have a thick skin, you're, you're not, you know, God will never bring you beyond the level of criticism and offense that you're able to handle. So if you don't have a thick skin, you're, you're, you're in for a rough ride. You're going to have bitterness spring up, I, you know after everything I've done for them, and they didn't invite me to their son's three-year three birthday party and stuff, I, I'm not even going to look at them anymore. Don't be like that. Quit being offended by everyone and everything about such minimal things, such stupid things. Do you know that there's people going to be in hell because they refuse to forgive people over such minimal things? Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brother his trespasses, neither shall your heavenly Father forgive you. So lack, uh, not forgiving, not showing mercy to others, it will actually keep you out of heaven. So if you're offended by every Tom, Dick, and Harry because of what, they're, what, you know, what they said, what they've done, how they treated you, how they, you know, they didn't give you the recognition you thought you deserved, 
You're, you're going to be a... The Bible says, actually, that when you refuse to, to, to forgive others, God will deliver you over to the tormentors. That's why I believe there's a lot of Christians that are tormented. Tormented in their mind. Because that's not just talking about hell. That's talking about even now. You'll open yourself up to demonic torment and torture. Can't sleep at night. Can't, and I'm telling you, if you just forgive that person and release them from the offense that they brought your way and just like sincerely in your heart, begin to love them again. You know, when someone offends you, do something nice to them. That'll keep, you, that'll keep your heart guarded from harboring that, def- that offense. Do something nice for them. They say something. That's why Jesus said, bless those that curse you. Pray for those that spitefully use you. Pray for them. It's hard to be offended by someone you constantly pray for. You know, one of the, one of the challenges of a pastor or a minister is that you pour out so much in a certain people and then they end up leaving. They don't call you. They, don't, you just, they just disappear. Pastors have to guard themselves from that offense and not just go up the next Sunday and just, you know, let loose on what so-and-so did. They have to guard that, their heart from offense. Number five, Pharisees are easily offended and they hold on to offense. Number six, Pharisees turn people away from miracles. Matthew 23, 13, But woe unto Pharisees, hypocrites, you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. You neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that enter in to go in. So Jesus said, you, hold, you take the key that can give him access to the great things, the miracles in the kingdom of God. You don't enter in yourself and you hide the key. He said, you're, you, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you know what's available, but you hide the key. You turn people away. There's, I'm telling you, there are ministries who their objective is not to preach the gospel, get people saved. They think they're a ministry because they go around teaching seminars on beware of so-and-so because he has a healing ministry. They go around teaching seminars on how divine healing is not for today. They just discourage people from receiving miracles. That's a modern-day Pharisee telling people that they, 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 they can have access to God's power, that God doesn't do what today what He did then, that we've moved on, that there's a new program God's moved into. The modern-day Pharisee, preachers who've never spoken tongues, then holding conferences, gathering people from all across the world, telling them how speaking in tongues is demonic or it's the kundalini spirit or whatever. And they make it their life's work to, show, to, to turn people away from this gift of tongues and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The Pharisee. They never entered into that dimension of the manifestations of the Holy Ghost. And so now their life's work is to make sure nobody else enters in. So there's a lot of preachers like this. There are a lot of ministers that do this. They don't have healing in their ministry, so they speak bad and talk down divine healing and people that operate, ministers that operate in divine healing. They've never had people baptized in the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues, so they talk down on the gift of tongues and, and uh, the manifestations of the Spirit. They've never had someone fall over in their spirit, in their service, so they speak ill about people that fall over in the Spirit. They've never entered into that dimension of power, and instead of humbling themselves and saying, Lord, I see it in your Word. I see that the Bible says, Paul said, I speak in tongues more than you all, that tongues is a real thing. 
And Jude says that we are to pray in the Holy Ghost, building yourself up. So it's, it's, a, it's an edifying thing to pray in the, in the Spirit. I see that it's real. Instead of doing that and saying, you know what, I'm going to study and I'm going to find out. Maybe I'm missing something and I'm going to pray, get desperate and believe God to experience the same. They, they don't want to do the work, so they just talk down on it. Don't be like that. And then I'll go a step further. If you're a Christian and you see someone get a healing, you see someone get delivered, and you haven't experienced your own yet, don't tear them down. Don't say, oh, it must not be. I don't think. I had someone write recently. Uh, TJ, I don't think the things you're saying are true because I've tried, I've tried them all and it's not working for me. Well, it's working for a hundred, like, thousands of other people. So maybe... Maybe we just humble ourselves and say, why isn't it working for me? Rather than it might not be true and this stuff doesn't work. Maybe if it's working for hundreds of other people, but it may not be working for me. Maybe it's because I have to change something and not that God's the one at fault. There's people who think that God's the one at fault. That the Lord is the one that, you know, he chooses some over others and we just got to live with it. No, no. God doesn't show any favoritism or partiality. In any nation, you're welcome to Him. In any person. Repent, believe, and times of refreshing will come. And times of refreshing could be healing, could be deliverance, could be breakthrough, could be whatever. And so don't be like a Pharisee that, that tears people down that are receiving breakthrough just because they didn't receive their own. Instead, celebrate them. Celebrate them. Water them with celebration. Wrap your arms around them. Don't be like the, the son, the second son of the father, of the prodigal son, who when the prodigal son came back and the father lavished on him great blessings, he got bitter and complained. Don't be like that. Because you know what the father told him? He said, son, everything that I have that's available to me is available to you. All these things have been available to you all these years. So it's not that the son couldn't partake of it. He just never moved to partake of it for one reason or another. So just because you see someone like the prodigal son getting blessed, man, they've been a Christian for 18 days and all of a sudden their whole life has turned around. You've been a Christian for 18 years and you're still trying to figure things out. Instead of criticizing them and getting bitter, celebrate them. Father, I thank you for what you did for them. That's proof that you're still doing that today. Lord, show me what I need to know so I can experience my own. So number six, Pharisees turn people away from miracles because they don't they don't have them themselves. There's people that criticize the message of faith because they, well, wait, I tried it once. You know, I tried that whole speaking to your mountain stuff and it didn't work for me. So all that is just name it, claim it, grab it, grab it, grab it, grab it, nonsense. It's demonic. It's a false doctrine, whatever. Okay, what about the millions of people that are Christians and using their faith to get to get God, you know, G, Hebrews literally says, without faith, it's impossible to please God, but whoever comes to God must believe. So how can you criticize the message of faith when faith is the only thing that pleases God? How can you say they're hyper faith when faith, I, I'll be hyper faith, I'll be hyper hyper faith, I'll be Superman faith, because if faith pleases God, I'm not going to be ashamed of it. But then there's, there's people that criticize the message of faith, call it the word of faith, as if it's a bad thing. Let me tell you something, Romans chapter 10. And this is kind of off topic, but I feel to say it anyways. Romans chapter 10. They always say the word of faith is demonic. That word of faith is nonsense. Oh, really? Let's go and read this. Paul's writing, Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Paul said he preached the, the word of faith. 
Paul said he preached the word of faith. And then he goes on to tell you what the word of faith is. That if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The word of faith. Number seven. You're obsessed with money. Pharisees were obsessed with money. Luke 16, 14. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. They, like I said earlier on this broadcast, they were more concerned with what was in it for them rather than what they brought to the table. They used religion to up their financial status. They used preaching. They used God to uh, advance their own agenda, to advance their own affluence and influence in society. The Bible says they devoured widows' houses. They were taking advantage of the poor. The Pharisees did not care about the poor. They loved money, and they took advantage of the poor to advance themselves. There's some Christians, I'm telling you, that have this Pharisee mindset that they would literally do anything. They'd screw you over just to make a couple extra bucks. They, their heart is not in God. They serve mammon. They're not loyal to God. They're loyal to money. And they would screw their own pastor over if it meant saving a couple of bucks, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Do you obsess about money? Is that what gets you out of bed in the morning? Are you only interested in laying, on, laying up treasures in, on earth? And you have no care or concern with the treasures of heaven, which is souls and people? I pray God delivers you from that today. Because the love of money, the Bible says, is a root of all kinds of evils. And many have pierced themselves through with many sorrows because of it. Number eight, you boast about how great you are. The Pharisees talked about how great they are. That Pharisee in Luke 18, he said, he said God, I thank you that I'm not like other extortioners and unjust adulterers or even like this tax collector. He was, he was bragging on how great he was, how he never... He didn't lie. He didn't steal. He talked about how he, wasn't, he didn't cheat on his wife. He, he sought out his righteousness by his actions. When we know that our righteousness is not based on what we do, our righteousness is based on what Christ did. So a Pharisee literally pumps himself up. A Pharisaical spirit will, will see confidence in what they do. See, they, they'll... Like almost like scout badges. Work up what they've done, what they do to build up their own confidence. Jesus said that you Pharisees, you seek, you seek to be justified by your own selves. And you don't seek the righteousness that comes from God. He actually said this in another, uh, in another scripture. He says that, um, that you, you desire to be highly esteemed amongst men. But not knowing that what is highly esteemed amongst men is actually an abomination before God. So they sought to build up their status before men in what they did, their righteous actions. Jesus said, unless you're, you're, that's why he said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. What was the righteousness of the Pharisees? It was based on their actions, their works, what they did. Jesus was saying, unless your righteousness exceeds that righteousness, you'll not enter the kingdom of God. Well, what's the only righteousness that exceeds that righteousness? Righteousness that is by faith in the finished work of Jesus. So a Pharisee doesn't, doesn't acknowledge the finished work of Christ. 
doesn't acknowledge that we are what we are by the, Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. He said, whatever, Philippians 3, he actually says, I was a Pharisee of a Pharisee. I was working my way up the religious ladder. I was hungry for the accolades of men. I was doing everything I, I boasted about. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. But he said later on, he said, everything that I was, I count as rubbish, garbage, in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ and his power and his resurrection power. And then further on in Corinthians, he says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Pharisees boast about themselves. People that don't have that, they understand that we are what we are by the grace of God. Number nine, envy drives you. Envy drives you. You look at what others are doing, and that's what drives you to do the same. The religious people handed Jesus over because, the Bible says, Pilate knew that they handed him over because of envy. They didn't hand him over because they knew they were doing right. They, didn't, they knew they were, do, they were doing wrong. They did it because he was getting more crowds than they were. The scripture says in John chapter 11, after Lazarus rose from the dead, the Pharisees had a, like a last minute meeting and a huddle. And they said, what are we going to do about this guy? If we let him continue like this, the whole world will go after him. They didn't want the world going after him. They wanted the world going after them. They're full of envy, full of jealousy. Are you full of envy? Do you only do things because other people are doing them and you want to do it better and you're not getting the, the recognition? You're not getting the accolade? You're not getting the applause? Are you on the choir at church just because you want to be seen? Are you on, are, are, do, you, you know, do you serve based on, you know, Paul said, uh, outward service to be seen by men? Or are you doing it from the heart knowing that your honor and recognition and your praise will come from God one day? Don't let envy fuel you. James 3 says, envy and self-seeking will produce every evil thing. Envy and self-seeking. Paul said that if you are only looking out for your own, own interests only, you're, you've missed the mark. Look out for the interests of others. Don't be self-absorbed. And then finally, number 10, and I'll finish with this, you assume the worst about everybody. You assume the worst about everyone. They said Paul was a heretic. They said this man is a heretic. They never even heard him out. Paul said in Acts 26, according to the way which the Pharisees call a heresy, so worship I, my God and my Father, fully believing. Be careful that you're not always labeling every preacher and every person and every Christian that doesn't agree with you on everything as a heretic. Now there are fundamentals. Anyone who denies the incarnation of Christ, heretic. Anyone who denies the infallibility of the scripture, heretic. Anyone who denies Jesus is the Son of God, heretic. Anyone who denies uh, the, 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 the moving of the Holy Spirit, heretic. There are things that are heresy, false teaching. But not everything is heresy. They said Jesus had a demon. They said John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking and has a demon. Everyone that did something great, they label as having a demon. So be... Don't be quick to assign critical remarks towards people just because you've not seen it done before or it doesn't fit your religious box. Don't, don't assume the worst about everyone. You know, I don't trust anybody. Well, that's wrong. You should learn to trust people. You know, in the day of Pentecost, they saw them all filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues, tongues of fire on their head. What did they say? These men are drunk. They were quick to attribute evil to those people. These men are drunk. They're all drunk. They're all just, they're having a wild party. Look, I told you those Christians, they're not even holy. They're drinking at 9 a.m. It's 9 a.m. How are they drunk? They were quick to attribute evil and worry about uh, them being the worst person ever. Don't be like that. 
I'm not saying go out and trust everyone. If you get a check in your spirit, heed that. However, not everyone's a demon. Not everyone's the worst person. Not everyone's out to get you. Not everyone's out to harm you. Not everyone's treating you as a victim. Not every, don't have that victim mindset where it's like you're the only good person on earth. That's how the, the Pharisees were. They thought they had it all. They were the only ones. They, they were the custodians of truth. They were the custodians of integrity. That they were beyond deceit and beyond... De you know, in John chapter 9, a man who's born blind is healed. And the scripture says when that man stood before the Sanhedrin and said it was Jesus that did it, they said, you were born in sins. And are you teaching us? They assumed the worst about the guy. You were born in sins because he was born blind. They assumed the worst, that he was cursed and sent of the devil. You are born in sin, and are you teaching us? And they kicked him out of the synagogue because of it. Don't assume the worst about everyone. Let me pray for you right now, because I feel that the anointing's here. For those of you that have remained on this broadcast, you know, this, this type of broadcast will chase people away because, you know, they want, they, want the, they want the move of the Holy Ghost. They want healing. They want the miracles. You know, when we do a broadcast on those things, we have 150, 160 people, 170 people coming on, and, and everybody's watching the replay. You start talking about serious things that are actually preventing people from obtaining those things, and it's like, ah, they feel the conviction. They feel the heat. They don't want to stay on. But you stayed on it. And so I know, I know that just like Modo said, I want more. And, uh, and, and I'm going to pray for you right now. And I'm going to pray for you and myself that we all be delivered of these religious mindsets, these pharisaical mindsets and mentalities, and that we stay, stay delivered and stay on track, that we never fall into that rut because nobody is beyond it. I didn't do this because I know it all. I don't, I don't do any of these things and, and uh, you guys are all wretched people. No, I'm doing it as a reminder to myself and as a reminder for you. And if you fall under any of these categories right now, God's going to deliver you of that. God is going to remove that pharisaical mindset from you. God is going to deliver you from a religious spirit in Jesus' mighty name. Right now, Father, I thank you that those that have tuned in, that you've drawn by your spirit and by your grace to this broadcast. Lord, as I prayed earlier today, preparing for this broadcast, that it wouldn't be a, a, a worldly sorrow that leads to death, but that they'd feel a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and life. Father, you said that God, if you would grant them power to repent, that they would come out of the snares of the enemy. I pray, give them power and grace to repent even now on these things. Lord, that we may never fall under these categories. Lord, that we would never be uh, in any way carrying the characteristics of what the Pharisees carried, which you rebuked all throughout the Gospels. Lord, I don't want I, I to be, and we don't want to be anything what Matthew 23 describes to be hypocrites, full of dead men's bones, outwardly doing things, but inwardly not carrying that eternal flame. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for everyone watching and for myself that the fire on our altar would never go out, that our eyes would be fixed and focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that our example would be Jesus, who did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. In Jesus' name, I release a grace on you right now to have that pharisaical spirit broken over your life. And that from today, humility and a Christ-like nature and mindset, the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ would replace the attitude of a Pharisee in, you, in Jesus' name. You'll leave this broadcast not looking out for your own interests, but for the interests of others. You'll leave this broadcast 
Not looking to be served and hold a position or a title, but putting your hand to the plow, doing everything you know to do by the power and grace of God to serve heaven's interests all your life. In the name of Jesus, we call it done. Amen. Amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.